0: Our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at
1: once. The Sustainable Hour.
2: For a green, clean, sustainable July. The Sustainable Hour.
3: Welcome to the Sustainable Hour. As always, we want to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from stolen land, that it was never ceded, the land of the Wathawrung people. We pay tribute to the elders, past, present, and those that will earn that honour in the future. We also acknowledge in the Year of the Voice that we have so much to learn from a culture, the oldest surviving culture on the planet that nurtured this land and their communities for millennia before it was stolen. The solutions as we face up to the climate crisis, so many of them are in that ancient wisdom.
4: 28 Cent. 28 Cent, that doesn't sound like much of a cost. But I say it's something we should be talking much more about this little figure, 28 cent. We should be thinking about it all the time. Because that's the cost of the damage that we cause every time we turn on a gas heater, or a gas stove, or we drive in a petrol car, when we use electricity that's been generated by burning coal, and so on. Because the work has been done now, the scientists have looked into what is the cost, what is the social cost of burning fossil fuels? The destruction and the repairs that follow after these record-breaking cyclones as we see them on the news. Floodings, bushfires and so on. We hear all the time there's a multi-billion dollar price tag on that. Devastation and, and the destruction that's coming as a result of our carbon emissions. But what is that price tag? So. The scientists from the universities of California, Princeton, Washington and many others over there in America, and even the EPA in America, have now published a study in Nature that estimates that every additional ton of carbon dioxide that we emit into the atmosphere costs society 185 US dollars, which is the equivalent at the moment to something like 276 Australian dollars. And when they talk about cost, they mean not just extreme weather events and so on, but also the cost to human health and to decreased agricultural productivity and many other effects that our carbon emissions have on the economy. So there we have it, 276 dollars per ton of carbon. Try to make that number a little bit more personal maybe, or or look at your company or firm where you work, because what it boils down to is 28 cents. 28 cents every time I and you emit a kilo of CO2. And we do that all the time. We don't even think about it. On average, every hour when we are awake, every hour we burn 2.5 kilo of carbon here in Australia. That's the average, 2.5 kilo. So the social cost of every hour we are awake is 70 cents because of our emissions. So when you drive 20 minutes in a petrol car, you put one kilo of carbon into the atmosphere. So that's the cost. That's the cost you don't pay for. The damage that you cause on society every time you drive 20 minutes in your petrol car. 28 cents. So if you drive for instance from Geelong up to Sydney, that's 250 kilos of carbon that goes into the atmosphere. The cost of that, that's 70 dollars. That's 70 dollars we don't talk about. And, you know, you can go on like that, because on average, we emit, every Australian person emits an average of 15 tons of carbon per year. That's three and a half thousand dollars worth of damage per year. That's a responsibility that we could be talking about with our kids. That's something our grandchildren can hold us responsible for. Every year that went by, we knowingly destroyed not the planet, but our society at the cost of three and a half thousand dollars per year. If you're in a household with five people, that's close to $20,000 worth of damage per year that you are responsible for. And when we begin to look at the fossil fuel projects out there, that's when you begin to hear the big figures. That Willow project that we talked about, the project over in Alaska, President Biden gave his signature and said it could go ahead. That's going to cost society two and a half billion dollars in damages and destroyed homes and infrastructure and bad health and dead animals and so on. But closer to home, the Scarborough project, this gas project that Woodside is planning to start up in Western Australia, that's going to have a social cost of, hold on, 378 billion dollars. Something to reflect on, but it comes down to the 28 cent. What else has been happening around the world? Colin Market AOM. After a good Easter break, hey?
5: Uh, After a good Easter break, yes. Thank you, Mick. Um, Our global roundup this week begins again with the two largest emitters of CO2 into the atmosphere. That's the US and China. But it's a story that begins in the Middle East, where a new report was released this week, and it warned that the oil-rich nations, that their biggest threat... This is Saudi Arabia and the OPEC oil cartel. Their biggest threat comes not from net zero emissions or from green deals in the West, but from China. That's because Chinese sales of petrol and diesel cars fell by 20 percent this February compared to last year. Sales of electric vehicles are rising explosively there in China, It reached a record 32% of the market for standard passenger cars in February. At the current pace, EV sales in China will hit 8 million this year. That's helped by the nation's super-fast rollout of battery swapping stations. Rather than charging your own car, in China you can do an instant swap. There's no need to wait and no need for charge points everywhere. And this also shows how woefully far behind Australia is with the rest of the world. We don't even know about this technology. Lord Turner, who is chairman of the Global Energy Transitions Commission, was quoted in this report predicting that China's demand for oil is suddenly going to start falling. He noted that half of China's total car fleet could be electric by 2030. If you add up the numbers, that would subtract several million barrels of oil a day being burned, reducing CO2 emissions and sounding the death knell for oil producers. The boost in China's EV sales was despite their government removing subsidies that it paid to car companies. And this, in turn, was due to the car companies cutting their prices. China's best-selling EV is the BYD Song Plus, which retails in China for about $41,000. The number two best-selling EV in China is the Wuling Mini, and that starts at around $8,000. Do you want me to say that again? That's Australian dollars, $8,000, and you buy a small city EV in China. China's green leap forward is not just a nightmare for big oil. It's compelling America and Europe to respond in kind. And that's causing an acceleration in the race for clean technology. And that leads to the news from America, because last Wednesday, before he flew to Ireland, the Biden administration announced that they were going to introduce sweeping new changes to the US fuel efficiency standards. You might have read about that in the press. But that's where we stopped. When you read down into that, those changes are aimed at cutting uh, the country's emissions by 40% by the end of the decade. The scheme is designed to boost the sales of electric vehicles by 1,000% so that they account for 67% of new passenger cars sold in the US by 2032. Although they didn't say it, this was almost certainly in response to China's latest figures. And it does have repercussions here in Australia. But first, those figures. Last year in the US, EVs only captured 6% of America's new car sales. So the new laws, which impose stricter emission standards on new car and truck sales, will force the car companies to switch to electric. President Biden also pledged to spend big money to encourage the take-up of EVs, including $15 billion for charging stations and $7 billion to support battery manufacturing, as well as billions of dollars in grants. The worry for Australia is that if we don't follow suit with stricter emissions standards of our own, then Australia will become the obvious dumping ground For high emissions petrol guzzling cars that global companies will have to unload quickly because they can't sell them in their own markets. Now, back to China again, where their scientists are moving into position to command the next big innovation in rechargeable batteries. In central China's Shangsha University, thousands of chemists and engineers are looking to shape the future of batteries around sodium instead of lithium. The university has been churning out graduates who are advancing the technology, very much like Stanford University molded the careers of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who pioneered microchips in the US in the 1980s. Now, in the Jiang River province, vast factories are mixed minerals into highly processed compounds that make rechargeable batteries better and cheaper and hold their charges longer. China's currently dominates the chemical refining and production of lithium batteries, which has powered the rise of mobile phones and other consumer electronics, as well as EVs. Now research from Changsha is positioning China to command the next big move. That is replacing lithium with sodium, a far cheaper and more abundant material. Sodium is found all over the world as part of salt. It sells for 1% to 3% of the price of lithium, but it's chemically very similar. It does have several advantages in holding its charge longer, and it doesn't seem to be affected by ultra-low temperatures. We'll keep you posted as this story develops. But now I've got bad news from the world's greenest sports club, Forest Green Rovers, who played Barnsley at the weekend and lost 5-1. With only four games left to go in the season this year, they're now certain of being relegated to Division Two. And there's no better news from their women's team, Forest Green Women's, who is coming off of the back of two 9-0 victories, if you remember. They played full-town ladies in the FA Cup at the weekend they scored four goals, but unfortunately, Paul scored five. So the Vegan Greens are out of this year's Cup Challenge, and that's my roundup for the week.
2: Listen to our Sustainable Hour for the future.
3: Our first guest today is Taja Polo Rolls. Uh, he's from the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change, or ARC. We've had representatives from them on the show before. And, uh, yeah, so what's up, what's up front at the moment for ARC, Tejapala?
1: Well, thanks for having me on the show. Um, it's great to have that global perspective there from Colin. I just want to say up front, it was um, something a friend of mine who's been well ahead of me on this is the CEO of Climate and Health Australia, Kaha. Um, his name's Roland. It was told me years ago, is, expect to see China outperform its own targets well ahead of the dates that they're going to set. That's just part of the political culture there. You outperform our targets. Whereas, and they find that the, uh, the Western approach of, of promising the moon and doing very, very little absolutely horrifying. And so it's great news, though, because China was only expected to start bringing its emissions down by 2030. So the fact that it, there's some movement in that direction now um, is, well, a relief. Uh, So what's been going on for ARC, the Australian religious response to climate change? um, Well, about six months ago, we had an open letter from about 100 religious leaders from across Australia and the Pacific to Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, calling on him to do a number of things, including just saying no to all new coal and gas projects and no to subsidising those industries. And the signatories on that letter included some of the top brass of sort of every religious tradition you could think of. You had the Anglican primate of Australia, you had the Anglican primate of New Zealand and Polynesia, you had the president of the Uniting Church Assembly, the Grand Mufti of Australia, the president of the National Council of Imams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It was very, very encouraging and we were very proud to, to have organized that. And so what's happened recently... Well, a few of our of our folks have you know, have met with uh, Treasurer Jim Chalmers, Australian Treasurer Jim Chalmers, to bring the message home and to ask him to um, to realise that there's a bit more political space than he might realise, he might have thought, for the current government to move on the climate now. And we thanked him, and we meant it, for the recent breakthrough with the Greens and others on the crossbench on the safeguard mechanism. But we made it clear, look. We need to go further and faster. That's just what the science is saying. And, you know, even though that's hard politically, you need to find a way through the politics. That's your job. So um, we're going to wait and see what comes from that. We also said, and we can, you can start by taking all the public money out of fossil fuels now. You're the treasurer, so that's what's coming after the budget. So we're going to be watching to see what he does in the budget, along with a lot of other people. Uh, we're just one voice amongst many. Uh, the other thing we're doing right now is... Two years out, we're starting to get ready for the Australian federal election in 2025. So we're already putting together teams of people in about 10 key electorates around Australia, and we are reaching out to other, well, starting the process of reaching out to faith communities of every possible kind in those electorates so that we are ready about 12, 6 to 12 months out and so that we can show that... Look, it's not just people that can easily be dismissed as urban greenies who care about this. This is everyday people of faith of every kind. And just give you one example of, of how powerful that can be. Um, last, oh gosh, no, October 2021, we a group of our people had a meeting with the, the, the MP at the time for the Federal Electorate of Higgins, which is in Melbourne, and that at the time was a, a Liberal MP called um, Katie Allen it was a very marginal seat she's since lost her seat um, at the time about five of our folks met with with her and one of them uh, a woman called Barbara who was in her 80s who's an Anglican said look all of my friends used to vote liberal have done for years and years and years nowadays just about none of them do because they're lying awake at night worrying about their grandkids um, and you know, you're losing, basically you're losing rusted on supporters. Now, that's a pretty powerful message. This isn't, this is, these are people sitting on pews in a, in a church in their 80s. Now, we're not partisan. We're not here to, to recommend any political party. We want both major political parties in Australia and every other one to end up with a strong position on the climate. We want them to be competing with each other for who's got the best policy. Um, we're not seeing that right now, but so we will bring pressure to bear. We're bringing it to bear on both major parties. Um, we, we're we're going to bring it to bear wherever we can, to the extent that we can, and joining forces with others. So right now, if you're in any part of the country and of Australia, and you're interested in getting involved in some of that work and finding out, am I in a marginal electorate? Um, am I? Would it be helpful for me to meet with your MP? The answer is almost certainly it would. Um, so. Uh, give us an email on info at a w r c dot org dot a u, and just let us know you're interested. If if you're a person of any faith at all, however you define that, we're keen to hear from you. Do your
5: policies vary in any way at all from those of the Greens? Because it strikes me that the um, the quotes that you gave, you know, no more fossil fuels, it, it's straight out of the Greens and not of the major parties. And as such. Will you be quite quite apart from lobbying the big parties? Will you be supporting physically um, a party
1: during the next election? I can answer the second part very quickly. No,
3: um,
1: yep. we are we are a um, an incorporated um, I forget the term trust association. I think the term is um, we are party political neutral. The reason why it resembles the Greens policy is because they happen to be the party that most closely resembles what the scientists are saying. We just need everybody else to get on board. And then, you know, how you get there should be the, I mean, should be the debate. Um, you, we need, actually, I think, we need very strong conservative policy on getting, achieving those two ends uh, and, you know, saying we need conservative, very good, good conservative policy on, carbon pricing in australia there's different versions of carbon pricing some will appeal to conservatives more than they will to progressives now the problem is if the if the conservatives are more or less abandoning the field when it can and just playing a version of the climate wars a la tony abbott which is what's going on right now then you will not they will essentially relinquish the field to those on the progressive left to come up with the policy design and in the long term it will hurt their own interests so we, And, you know, it doesn't make for good debate. It doesn't make for good policy. So, uh, no, it's, it's coincidental more than anything, Colin. And no, we can't. We won't support any one political party.
4: Tetupala, how do you mobilize those priests, those leaders in the community, in the faith communities that really are asleep and do nothing? Because even though it sounds great about this uh, this collective open letter that you published half a year ago, where some top figures in in different faith communities spoke out. On the ground level, I see a lot of inactivity. I see a lot of closed ears and closed eyes.
1: Well, it depends where you go, Mick, to be fair. Um, It really does. Um, I can think of, for example, in the Uniting Church in Australia, you hear about refugees, uh, indigenous rights, and the climate over and over again in most parts of the country. So it depends where you go. Um, And also, there's a lot of people who are on board and who do care. And so we've got our hands full just organising those people. Um, Yes, of course, we're always interested in trying to bring on board uh, other people who have so far have not been as bold. But even if I look back, say, back to 2015 when the Paris Accord was signed, I think the idea that we would have had such senior buy-in on such strong messages um, would have been unthinkable even at that stage. So I think the ground's moving. I know, for example, in Perth, in, um, the St. Mary's Cathedral hosted... I mean, in addition to that, to that letter, by the way, we had open... We had multi-faith services in support of that on the day in a number of places of worship around Australia, including cathedrals like St. Paul's in Melbourne. And in Perth, it was, it was St. Mary's Cathedral. And I saw an interview with Father Sean Fernandes, who's the Dean of that cathedral saying that they had thought long and hard about whether to get involved in that. Um, but in the end, it came down to the fact that Pope Francis had talked very passionately about this in his encyclical, Laudato Si', and that was just it. And that really moves me. It really moves me to see like people just going, no, this is it. This is what my convictions most truly tell me. I'm just going to follow through on this. And people who you just, you know, do not fit the the everyday stereotype and it's wonderful to see. So we I'm not that bothered the grounds moving fast as far as I can tell.
3: Why have you got involved with Arc? What do you see as the value of of people of faith expressing their concerns about climate change?
1: Um first of all it so happens I'm um actually ordained in the Buddhist tradition. I don't our order is very non conventional. It's not monastic as you can probably those if you could see me even if your listeners could see me you could see i do not have orange robes in a ball and, you know or, or other robes I, I look like everyday householder um but 16 years ago nearly 17 i joined the tree ratna buddhist order and it's long been a conviction of mine that the buddhist tradition teaches compassion for all sentient beings and it's very hard to put that into practice in any meaningful way in the current context with things as urgent as they are, without um, without actually being a bit serious about about doing what we can to organise on this, and I know that there are lots of other people who feel the same way. So first of all, it's a personal passion, but secondly, uh, it's really important to be able to show decision makers, especially political decision makers, that the mainstream is behind them. I think we've gone from having a government that wanted to do as little as possible and, in fact, block progress. People call them laggards. They're not laggards. They were blockers. We've gone from a government of blockers to a government that wants to do more than it is, is doing quite a bit, but is still not anywhere near as fast as the science says is needed. And they are just politically cautious because of how they got burnt last time during the Gillard Rudd years. So our job, I think, is to say, along with others, is to say, look, there's way more room to move than you think. Look, this isn't this isn't, you know, people sitting in Fitzroy sipping a soy latte, although that's often being me, um, you know, th- who are who are talking about this. This is the primate of the Anglican Church. This is, you know, the grand mufti of Australia. I mean, this is this is pretty mainstream now. It's OK. There's a door. Walk through it.
5: You touched earlier on on the refugee crisis, which is a second one, probably probably. Third in the world, when you look at it, the first crisis would be oil, second plastic, and then the refugee crisis. And that's basically caused by the huge gap in living standards and income between most of the world and us rich nations. And really, when you look at it, especially from a Buddhist point of view, I would have thought closing that gap is really important. Uh and you can't really i mean the the conservative forces in rich nations are as opposed to closing the gap between rich and poor as they are against um closing down oil refineries um can you just give us a, a your view if you like on how the world could possibly become more fair and therefore Stop the impetus of people who wish to escape poverty by coming into richer nations.
1: The, the climate crisis, if it gets out of control, as far out of control as it really potentially could, will only massively amplify the number of refugees. And so I think if you want to build a fence at the top of the cliff rather than an ambulance at the bottom, you best Best return on your efforts is still is going to be trying to stop the climate crisis from getting out of control. That's my only answer. There are people who know far more about that than I do in terms of the the situation right now. But if I were someone who cared about the refugee situation, I'd think really hard about getting involved in climate work. And to be honest, I'm also a New Zealander. And I look at Australia and I think the models all show Australia breaking down much faster than New Zealand will. Um, there's, there's a plausible scenario in which 25 million Australians attempt to move over to our country and we pull up the drawbridge. So, I, you know, I'm, I don't wish it on anybody, really.
4: How does it look from the ARC headquarters in terms of what's happening in our local area, the DeLong area? where ARC has been quite active, but now uh, is, as I understand it, looking for a new leader. What's the situation?
1: Well, we still do have an active group in Geelong. Um, Father Peter Marson, who led it very capably for quite a while, has taken a step back to have a more reflective life, and I wish him really well with that. He's been a, a great hero of mine. So um, what we do need um, now is some more people to get involved in our group because we've got a plan, which is the electorate of Karangamite, is one of the electorates that we've chosen to target. It's not ultra-marginal, but you can bet anything you like, it'll be one that will be a fought over. And so it will matter, and we need both sides of my major parties in politics to get it. And so um, we will be organising in the electorate of Karangamite. So again, if you're interested, info at arrcc.org.au. Tell us if you're in Karangamite. We'd love to hear from you.
2: What is happening to our world? Have you ever stopped to notice? What does it take for you to say Lives will be With all the storms raging, corals dying, ocean levels rising It's a threat to our human rights Fossil fuels burning us past 1.5 degrees What are we gaining from this madness of people are in danger? It's a national court of justice An advisory of On human rights and climate change We're calling out to you United Nations We desire today Protect the rights of the human race We're calling now to you yeah, We have
0: a duty to all of mankind Obligations must stand to defend our rights. This chance to get clarity from the International Court of Justice on the legal obligations in the struggle for survival with a million voices. Save the Paris Agreement, everyone must act. So, better mankind, wake up now, it's not too late. Raise your voices up, speak for the children of tomorrow. With every forest burning, every person moving, every day is passing by, and time is running out.
3: Our next guest is Von Yang. Von is the founder of a group called Inro, and they're very much into the circular economy as regards fashion, fast fashion, so something that's very, very needed, very, very essential. So, Von, thanks for coming on today. Thank Tell you. Tell us about the awards that you've recently won and, yeah, what you do, what gets you up each day in your work.
6: Thanks, Tony. Um, pleasure to be on this podcast. The value is hugely aligned. So, thank you. Um, the award that was won from Moral Fairgrounds was a early stage ethical enterprise peak award. And we've also taken home, so, apart from the winner category, we also taken home the Melbourne Climate Award. In Row is shot for in rotation. So, our vision is to create a global circular economy that really is a long game with shifting the perception of how we value and also consume fashion the reason why we've chosen fashion is because it's more of a joyful more relatable kind of aspect of everyone's life we all wear clothes and um, there is a few facts in Australia that you know it's one of the biggest landfills that we've created through fast fashion. And globally, we are the second nation that is con- like consuming the fastest in textile as well. So it seems appropriate for us in Australia, we all know we have a waste problem. Um, and on average, every Australian is buying 27 kilo of new textile every year. And we're, we are throwing out 23. So And that's on average per person. It's a scary fact. And so it seems like a, a good place to start for us. We're actively working towards a regenerative fashion model. We want to think that we're very close um, with experts and reports coming up um, everywhere. But at the moment, our current model works with um, a subscription based model where we redivert landfill, personalize, and curate them for our members, for our community. And we also take care of everything, the end of life. So there is mending, altering, there's upcycling, there's recycling, and of course, in the future, we'll be regenerating.
4: That sounds like something that requires a lot of work. How many people are you?
6: So we've only launched for one and a half years. At the moment, we're a team of seven. None of us, other than myself, are full-time. Um, it, is, it is a lot of work. A box that we send out requires something ridiculous, like 20 tasks hidden in it, because there's curation, there's caring for them, and there's communication, the tech side of things, we're completely e-commerce. And there's also this side about, like, cultivating a community, um, and it's a brand-new business model, so we're globally the first um, of its kind. And, yeah. So <laughs> well,
5: that's um, that's splendid, Vaughan. Um Whereabouts are you based is my first question. And my second one is how does it operate? It, it sounds to me like you would have, I don't know, an upmarket op shop or something like that. So could you give us, sort of drill down and give us the details of how your organisation works?
6: 100% happy to do that. Um, so we are based in Collingwood in Melbourne at the moment. And we are currently in our growth stage. So we're looking at, we've put in a few commercial lease applications. So we might be ho- moving away from horse, uh, to Hawthorne or Fairfield or around the area. The location doesn't quite matter because we're e-commerce and we're serving nationwide. Most of the people, the first impression of is like, are you an op shop? But we're very, very different from one. In fact, we'll solve all the op shop pain point in our service. So first of all, we are serving nationwide. I know that op shop has recently pivoted during the pandemic to become an online store or part of their stocks are online. But our point of difference is that apart from all our clothing are secondhand and we divert it from our community, we are a curated and a personalized service. So our service looks like from the start, the very beginning, you would pay for a subscription. You also have the option to pay for a one-off boxes with a slightly higher margin. And once you subscribe, you fill in a five to 10-minute fit and style preferences. So you tell us exactly what you like or exactly what you don't like. Our target audience are very, very broad. Some people know what they love, but some people basically just say, help me. I need help. <laughs> and so from there, we kind of match you with the clothing that we have and your box comes delivered to you with six pieces of items every month. And with that mm-hmm. box, our other MVP, which is our other offering and point of difference is you also get styling tips and notes on how to wear them. Like we encourage you to mix and match them with your existing wardrobes and what you have in it how you can make the most out of this clothing. And then at the end of the month, you return them. And if you're a subscriber, you get another six items. And through the month, you have the option of consciously purchase the items, but only after you've worn it in your real life and on your real body. So we take away this big part of fast fashion, where it's impulsive purchases. There's a lot of decision being made in life. You know, paint room where, you know, it's often very high pressure and there's a few outside. We also take away this, um, this guilt of, like, buying something and not wearing it. Our wardrobe is full of clothing, still, have tags on, and we've forgotten about. Mm, but we still want that novelty of having something new to feel, you know, um, how we can express ourselves authentically through fashion. And it's like a solution that's convenient and guilt-free for what our market is ready for. So we're not ready to give up this aspect of fast fashion. So how can we slot in a solution that still provide you with the same kind of adrenaline and joy, requires no lifestyle changes from you, but helps you get to the right side of the line.
5: So what's the address? How do, how do people find you on the internet?
6: Ah, so we are InRo, short for in rotation. That's the easiest way to remember it. It's I-N-R-O dot life, as in lifestyle life. So instead of dot com, we're just dot life.
5: Well, look, um, from a personal point of view, we stopped using the main stores uh, as, a, as a family some 30-odd years ago. And as Mick pointed out, I was given the honour of the Australia Medal uh, on the 4th of this month, and I took quite pride in when, I, when the governor pinned the medal on me, I was wearing $15 worth of op-shop clothes, and I was really smart.
6: That's amazing. That's exactly what I do. Um, I think that this activism and this movement of, like, climate crisis can actually be really fun, like, while you're being rebellious. So I've been, I've been attending events in, say, Melbourne Fashion Week, Melbourne Fashion Festival. I've been invited to speak as part of the panel in sustainable fashion. And literally, I was wearing $5 thrifted clothing to Melbourne Fashion Week. And there's this really interesting conflict that's happening where Melbourne Fashion Week is all about the now trend. And that's the, the thing that we're trying to battle as well. We're trying part of our business principle is um, we call ourselves a feminine based principle. So it's like we we don't subscribe to like hustling and we're supportive and we're always trying to convey this idea that you are enough, that you don't need all of these things to be enough, that you are born as you are. And you know the answer and you're just getting affected by marketing and sales and all of these things, this capitalism that's benefiting from your self-image problems, right? And so there's this really interesting things happening when you're wearing a $5 thrifted clothes to a very now trendy event where everyone is sort of against last season, but you just have to show up like authentically and, you know, and you can still look stylish, you can still be sustainable, you can still be included in events like this. I'm not sure if I'm popular saying this out loud, but <laughs> that's part of our um, part of our game plan.
4: <laughs> that's I think that's so fantastic. When you mentioned this thing about, you know, being naked, uh, I, I, I'm tempted here to read a quote that I have been. It's been sitting on my Facebook page for more than 10 years, remembering that you are going to die. Is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to lose. You are already naked. There's no reason not to follow your heart. That was Steve Jobs who said that when he was giving a speech to some graduates, some young people going out in society. You are already naked. There's nothing to lose. No reason not to follow your heart. And I think when we talk about the climate crisis, that attitude is so important. Yes, there is trouble ahead. Yes, there are things that are already probably we can't change. The ice at the Arctic is melting, and that's not looking good what's going on. But one thing, and this is the good news, one thing we can be sure of it is not going to be boring what's (laughs) coming ahead. And maybe what we should fear most of all as human beings is boredom. The reason we put people in prison is because boredom is a real punishment. And what you're talking about with fast fashion is, again, we're trying to run away from boredom in a way. Human beings, want we want to be a traveling, we want to be on the move, we want to see new things. And climate change, it has it all. It's only about our attitude. If we have a positive attitude towards it, suddenly a whole new world opens up of possibilities. And it's not bad at all. We don't have to have sleepless nights over it. We just say, roll up our sleeves and get to work.
5: Could I invite Tejapala to give us a Buddhist angle on the on? recycled fast
1: fashion and what we've been talking about well it's only one buddhist's take on it but (laughs) for for what it's worth um buddhism teaches a a, a, some version of simplicity uh, like a lot of the world's major religions do um and also but particularly buddhism teaches not getting into states of mind of craving i think that's the the one of the key teachings so um it's particularly—I mean—it's wonderful that you can—we can have such a, you know, reduced impact on on our world by, um, you know, not wasting resources in the same way. And there, there's even actually a sutta somewhere in the early Buddhist teaching about where the a queen asks one of the Buddha's leading disciples what she's about to give him some new robes, and she says, "Well, you know, what what are you going to do with the old ones?" And he—I can't remember exactly how it goes. but He says, "We're going to we're going to turn them into." something else and she says what are you going to like it might be mops and what are you going to do with the old mops are we going to turn them into this and it goes through about five levels of it's basically the recycling suitor from 2500 years ago for for second-hand clothing so look it up Vaughn, if you're interested but um but you know i still think we need to be a bit careful about getting too caught up in the in the sort of the the excitement and the rush and that craving because that has a spillover effect in other aspects of our lives, and only hardens a sort of, a sort of sense of ego and, and self in a way that might not be useful. So, if people can engage in it without doing that, then that sounds absolutely wonderful.
5: Mm. Yes, it's um, it's one of the sad things, isn't it, that um, if you stop buying cheap fashion, all of a sudden you're going to be throwing a lot of people in. Southeast Asia are out of work and they, they don't get very much money anyway. So there's always a, a sort of an anti-argument to just about every move that you're making.
6: Um, I think that's a really great point. Um, our, our current society, the ideal world, the utopia, would be that everyone would just wear what they need. It's really bizarre to me that when we look at cars. Because they're expensive and we can only drive one car at a time, most of us just own one car. With clothing, we can only wear one set of clothing at a time, but some of us have a thousand pieces of them or hundreds of them. And it's, it's bizarre to me that it's because it's kids that we need more and I think that in the utopian world we would just have a capsule wardrobe that we repeat and that's enough and that has a lot to do with um, you know, the capitalist model and almost like the patriarchal society that's teaching us that we need to be more we need to always face this new thing we have to have a goal we have to reach for the next thing and this is a huge topic so I'm trying to simplify it but right now what we're hearing is that a lot of people is not doing that because they can't. They they have a lifestyle, for example, um, say a woman's body. They go through so many changes through their life when they are pregnant or just by aging, like our sizes would change. And so you need to buy new clothes. You need to change and your lifestyle change. Like you have different jobs. You have different needs. So this is just a temporary solution, and as a business, we would hope that one day our business model no longer exists because everyone would just have five pairs of clothing, and then they wear it until it dies, right? And and we turn it into mock. or <laughs> you know, and then we have another solution to deal with these just this five pairs of clothes. But we're talking like this insane amount of clothing that is like in in the one and a half years that we've launched, we've redirected. Almost two tons of clothing. And this is a small social enterprise in Melbourne. It's really bizarre how much waste there is for us to work with and there's no solution to work with them. And we're talking about these clothing that are perfectly fine to wear. They, they, they're not ready to be mocked. They're not ready to be recycled. Anything that uses more resources to deal with them is a waste. We're just dealing with waste. By wasting our resources at the moment. So we think that is temporary and we're very ready and very excited to change once we're ready. And maybe when everyone embodies more of a Buddhist mentality, that will be our dream. That is our measure of success.
0: You got to change your oily ways, Jamie. We're breaking up with you. You got to change city and be a Wells Fargo too. You're giving money to fossils who burning us down. You pay for all the destruction that's going around. This can't go on. Lord knows you got to change This is our home, Jamie Your fossil friends only want to drill You give them loans, Jamie So they can burn and lie and kill You keep on feeding the fossils With billions of cash All the burning is turning the world into ash This can't go on Lord knows you've got to change
5: I'm incredibly old. And I can recall back in the 1950s, they would be um, films, they would release films which would be set in the 21st century when everybody was wearing just one suit, which was silver, and you were getting your car and fly to wherever you were going. It turned out, in truth, with those of us who survived through to the 21st century, that they couldn't have been more wrong. Because as you pointed out, we've all got wardrobes that are bulging with clothes. So much, many people, they never get to the back of it. It's a ridiculous thing, especially when the 50s films were showing us what we were supposed to do, just wear a silver suit and a helmet.
6: I think that we are all stuffing our wardrobe with clothes as an escape. <laughs> mm. That's what I think. I think it's a, it's a way we deal with, I'm trying, in my head, I'm trying to simplify it, but I think it's a really, really big topic. It's it's linked to um, mental health. Um, you would think that in the middle of the pandemic, when we have no need for clothes, we will buy less clothes. But it's the complete opposite. E-commerce, online shopping, just skyrocketed. Everyone was spending money on things they have no need for. And this is a part of... Um, the mentality and mindset that we're trying to shift is something about ownership of materiality that is feeding this part of us that we're not ready to look at. And it's really interesting because at the beginning when we launched our business model and everything in our business model is an experiment because it's innovative and brand new. At the beginning, we're a rental subscription model. You can't buy because we're like, you're not allowed to own more clothes than you have in your wardrobe. And people were really, really struggling with it. They stopped subscribing because they can't say goodbye to the clothes that they love and connected to through a month of wearing them. And so we become a business model that's not viable. And so we now have the option of having a conscious purchase option, which means that only after you wear it multiple times, you see it, You see yourself wearing it in your social life, in your work life, you're allowed to buy them. You're welcome to buy them. You adopted them into your wardrobe, but we include these keys where even after you buy it out of our system, we take them back when you're ready to let go again. So this is a shift in your mindset of ownership. You're owning it in your own terms. You're renting it in your own terms until you're ready to not own it again. So it's a long-term rental, that you're paying as if you're buying it. So I think that that's what people are ready for. And I hope that this would allow them a bit more space in their tiny shoebox apartment. And the other really cool thing is with this system, this closed-loop system, a lot of people are treating it in a way where I take one in, I let one go. So in our system, we also allow for people to let go of their own clothing. And it comes into our system. And so when they do that, it's kind of like an exchanging system. They have credit that they can use for their purchases. And it encourages them to look at it in a brand new mindset. What do I actually need to keep? If I'm buying this piece that is right for my lifestyle right now, what am I letting go of? What will have more use for other people in their wardrobe? etc etc and hopefully that wardrobe that's completely packed with things that you can't reach and can't remember what you have in there will then have a bit of space to breathe and we hope that that means your mind your mental health your life has a little bit of space to breathe and we hope that that little space will become this pocket where you become available to you know look at things that are more concerning like Climate crisis. How do I change my lifestyle? How do I improve this life? How do I improve the planet? that process? It's a long stretch, long game.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's look. That's really good, fun. Look, I should have asked this at the very beginning. How long have you been in business? And the other one is just a personal question. What's your best-selling item? So, is it everyday wear or is it evening wear? I mean, you wouldn't sell things like pyjamas, would you? It would be flash fashion wear, would it it not?
6: First question first, we've launched a year and a half ago in the middle of the pandemic. We launched in the morning and in the evening, Melbourne has announced snap lockdown. So that was kind of like, did we launch or did we not? But that was a year and a half ago. But we actually have been beta testing this business model for three years long. So that means that we've sat down with all our beta tester one-to-one after they tried our service and we get feedback and we get informed about how to create a business model that's right for the town, which most of it, by the way, got dumped out the window because the pandemic happened. And one of the biggest things that we noticed was before the pandemic, everyone was actually, that the entire Melbourne was wearing black. So we created this entire inventory of, like, 70% of black clothing and after the pandemic, everyone was like dopamine dressing, is what they call it. They want colors, pattern. And it's, it's really bizarre. Like the three years of beauty testing was kind of irrelevant anymore and we have to like pivot and we have to change quick. Um, your second question, which was really a, a, an excellent question. We have so many needs in our life. Events, we have work, we have play, we have sports all of these things. And we have pajamas. We call ourselves um, a business that focuses on elevated everyday wear. And I think the key part of fashion is the styling part because a white t-shirt can be elevated. If you want, you can wear a white t-shirt to a gala if you know how to dress it, right? It depends on so many other elements. And so when you look at... Um, of course, when you're feeling your feet and style, you tell us about your lifestyle. You tell Some people tell us about the job that they have and we try to curate as best as we could to them. We very often get requests for people have going to a wedding or having a, a six-year party or something big, celebration, and we try to find things that's appropriate for that event to include in that month's box. right? Our best-selling items are the items that people wear the most often. So if there are, say, a mom that is constantly picking up kids and constantly picking up mess, it will be the comfiest pair of, say, linen pants in black so they can't stain it. And I think that, you know, we're, we're also providing these things to all of our customers where they don't have to go out and shop for it. They don't have to deal with, you know, return or exchanges. All of these things that it's kind of like, hey, I need this. It's like a personal shopper. Hey, I'm a mom and I don't have any pants that fits me anymore. Can you send me one? I need to be able to move freely in it and it needs to be in the color that, you know, stains can show very easily. Done. You get three pairs, you choose one. Or you get three pairs, none of them is completely suitable. Next month, you get another
4: three. Excellent. There you have it. Two brilliant suggestions to how we can step up and be inside and be active in the climate crisis right now and be that difference that we need to see in our communities. So if you're a member of a faith community, you contact ARC at the email address info at arrcc.org. And if you're interested in, what should we call it? The new solution to elevated everyday wear, you call it, one.
6: Yeah.
4: That doesn't harm the planet, then go to inroad.life. That's all we could fit in the hour. Thank you, Von Yang and TetuPala Rawls for giving us this inspiration to Be The Difference.
5: Be The Difference. Thank you very much.
6: Thank
4: you. Really good
1: to be here.
6: Be the difference.
2: I know the world's gone mad. It's true. Be the difference. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. Be the difference, be the difference, the star the watching.